Welcome to The M Word, where we bring you unfiltered conversations about all things marketing. Join us as we discuss the many highs and lows, bumps and twists, failures and successes of marketing and running a successful business. We are your hosts, Jennifer Mulchandani and Heather Michaelgard. Get ready for an uncensored journey into the world of marketing. Today on the podcast, we talk to Tara Clays, founder of Design TLC. Tara began her career in advertising and marketing in the early 90s in Chicago and Washington, D.C., long before digital was even a thing. Design TLC was founded in 2010 and specializes in WordPress websites and digital marketing for small schools and education-focused nonprofits. Tara talks about the importance of trusting your gut, working and living your values, and how she took the leap and niched down her business. From AI to embracing perfectionism, this conversation is full of great M-bombs. Enjoy the show. Hey, Tara. Welcome to the M-Word podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here today. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, we're extra excited because, uh, as as you know, Tara, we've been friends for a very long time, um, met as business uh confidants and accountability partners. And um, I really value our relationship and what we've got to know about each other. So I might leverage a little bit of that behind the students' knowledge too uh, in some of our questions today, but we're really excited to talk to you. And also, um, just to give a plug to you and your own podcast, um, you want to tell our listeners a little bit about what your podcast is? Sure. Well, I think, I suppose when I talk more about what I do, it'll make more sense. But I have a podcast I co-host called Mindful School Marketing, and um, it's targeted toward um, small private school um, marketers, administrators, heads of school. And we talk about marketing tactics, but also oftentimes those people are wearing many hats. So we talk about how to sort of mindfully approach their job and their life and, and manage all the different things that they're doing. We talk about Enneagrams and, you know, all, we kind of have a pretty broad spectrum because we both geek out on all that stuff. So it's really fun. That's awesome. And I hope we come back to sort of that mindful aspect because I feel like that permeates a lot of your own, um, ethos and how you approach your own business too. So with that, why don't you start from the beginning? You know, you got your, uh, you started your career uh, in the nineties, you said, working in advertising and marketing and, uh, you know, give us the broad brush. How'd you start? How'd you get where you are today? Sure. I'll try to make it not too long. I started out in advertising. Um, I, I lived in France in college and the way that they were doing advertising in the late eighties, um, it was like so prominent and it was entertainment. So I really fell in love with the idea of advertising, uh, and especially women in advertising. I did a whole like paper on it and was really fascinated with the portrayal of women, you know, through the forties and the fifties and the sixties and how that changed in advertising and marketing. So I've always been fascinated by that. So I had um, a few jobs in advertising agencies after college and then, um, marketing translated that into marketing worked for MCI and did some direct mail, which I did not enjoy at all. I don't think anybody really loves that. It's pretty dry, but this was before the internet. So, um, so I had some, you know, basic marketing background. And then when I had my first child decided to stay home, but I had been doing a side thing of illustrations at the time. And so when I decided to stay home uh, and leave MCI, my boss said, you need to do this as, you know, as a little business. So I did. So I kind of just started doing illustrations for other moms and, and then that kind of grew and the internet and computers 
became more uh, prominent. And so I turned that into a stationary business that sort of by accident, really just a hobby. I was really focusing mostly on being home with my kids. But as they got older, I started doing more with it and built a website for myself. And then around 2010, decided I was done with Christmas cards and paper, which was becoming, you know, really hard to manage with the family. Um, got rid of the big printer and the paper cutter, everything that I had had um, acquired to run this other business and decided just to focus, focus on digital um, digital graphic design and, and advertising, um, marketing, and websites mainly. So I learned how to use WordPress and then have just been building websites then since then. And then about four years ago, decided to start specializing. I had been doing websites for all kinds of businesses. And I, you know, there's a lot of talk about niching down. I know you guys have talked about that too. Um, and Jennifer and I have talked about that. You were with me as I went through this process, right? Like how to choose what you're going to specialize in. And it really happened organically and naturally for me because I had a few clients that were in the uh, childhood enrichment education space. Um, and so I decided to specialize in that in, in schools and education focused nonprofits to be super specific. Uh, and then that led me down a, a marketing of my business that I had never really done before, which was really honing in on something that I wanted to do and actually doing some active marketing because it had only been word of mouth up until then. So that's where I am now. Can I probe on the niching down thing though? Yeah. I swear we will, Heather's voice will be heard here eventually, but I'm too, I'm too excited about the fact that you brought that up because it, and remind me, cause I actually don't remember what came first, but like, was the decision to like, I really should niche down cause that's how I grow my business. Did that come first? Or was it, gosh, I really love doing these specific types of clients and I kind of only want to do them. Like what was the driving yeah. It was a combination of those things. And also I was turning 50 and my kids were finishing school and I was doing a deep dive into what my values are. I was, I, I got this book called Designing Your Life, um, which helped me kind of figure out who I want to be and what I want to do with my life and my business. So in large part, it came out of that, what feeds my soul and determining that when I feel passionate and good about the projects I'm working on, I do a better job, right? If you, nothing against lawyers and law firms, but right, you can only do so many of those or accountants or business that are businesses that are, um, you know, less creative, less interesting creatively, stock photos of people shaking hands and those types of things. And there are fabulous law firm websites and all of that. It just wasn't something that I felt like I could serve well enough because it just, didn't light my fire. And so, um, so I really felt like I just felt like it was also tapping into the need that I had at the time and still do to hang on to that parental part of myself, um, which allows me to have that connection in schools, um, serving them and seeing what they're doing and still feeling, uh, you know, engaged in that childhood enrichment process, even though my kids don't need me anymore. <laughs> I love though that you're aligning your values and um, your passion to what you're actually going to be doing. And I think a lot of people want a niche, but they're afraid to. Did you have fear that it would be too narrow and you would be losing clients if you did yeah. that? Yeah. I think we probably had conversations about that in our group, Jennifer. But um, 
Yes, I remember I was at a conference. It was it was a content camp, and it was a colleague of mine. I was I used to be more involved, still am, but used to be super involved in the WordPress community. Uh, and there's a woman named Jennifer Bourne who does a lot of sort of freelance agency. Um, uh, she has a thing called Profitable Project Plan, like how to run your agency profitably, and also content, how to develop content. And so I remember sitting in this conference and it was like a workshop, like a three-day workshop. And I remember sitting there and just deciding right there that I was going to switch my website over. I was going to take off anything general and I was just going to be, I do school and nonprofit websites. That's what I'm going to say. That's what I'm going to do. And I did have a little bit of a scared feeling about that. Um, and uh, but I just decided I was going to do it. It was just like, it really was, it was like over a three day period that I decided I had been thinking about it. And uh, I decided that I was going to do it at that time. And I never really looked back. I did hang on to other clients that I had, but there are a couple of things that it allowed me to do that, um, that have proved to be successful for me and, and, and in some ways challenging too. One is that I can say no to people pretty easily now if they, you know, I can say I only work with schools and nonprofits. And if you don't fit into that, I can say no. If it's a colleague, a friend, something like that, I, I pretty much, I mean, I don't say yes to any of those. I've really stuck with that. And over time, I've also offloaded all of my recurring clients, the retainers that I have to, um, to give them to other agencies to manage so that I don't even have them in my portfolio anymore, with the exception of a couple that I really love, like Dogfish Head Ale House. Um, but uh, so beer, beer and donuts are the two exceptions that I make. <laughs> uh, so, so that's really been good. But then it's also allowed me to really immerse myself in the community of school, small schools, of independent schools. And so I've been really fortunate to meet some really wonderful people in that space just through LinkedIn. And this was right, right before COVID. So I was able to really develop that, um, that connection and network, which has been, which has been really great as well. Yeah, I think the benefits of niching is then you are the go-to expert in that field, in that industry, and you giving other industries to someone else, um, then it's like they return the favor to you. Um, so I think that's great. I In your intake form, you talked about how much you love what you do. Like it's almost like a hobby and you've struggled with then taking yourself seriously and realizing that this truly is a business and um, that you, you know, so how do you balance that? How do you balance taking yourself seriously and looking at this as a um, profitable, well-skilled uh, business that that people go to? Well, I think, you know, I, I definitely have suffered as most people have with from imposter syndrome, but I also um, know that I do a good job and that I care a lot and that my clients are happy. So there are some really big companies that serve the industry that I'm serving and I'm not competing with them and they certainly do a great job. We don't, you know, we don't compete with them because we're small and we don't charge the same and we use different software and all of that. Um, so I've just developed confidence over time that, that we're good at what we do. I have a, a small team who support me and I get really excited about solving problems well. So, um, so it really is overcoming that self doubt. I think that helps with that. Um, 
also, you know, upping my prices, which, uh, and is something that, um, took me a, a while to embrace comfortably and still sometimes I do, but, but I do have, as I've gained confidence and know what a good job we do and see what other things are out there, um, I know that, that what I'm offering is a good value. Yeah. So I, I think that getting your confidence, um, and I think I'm saying this as much about myself, even in my journey, it's like that more, the more that confidence comes in and that assuredness that you know what you're doing, you're delivering really quality, great work, good service, all those things. You stop being able to take the shit from the people who are hiring you. Right. Like, and you, you did, you shared that like sort of like, the, the irkness around not feeling respected by, you know, certain clients or, or not being taken seriously. So like what, at what point, when did that become, was that the impetus to gaining that confidence or did that, did those feelings come in after you, you, you know, work to overcome that imposter syndrome? I think it's a, that's a good question. I think it's a, I think it's a few different things. I think I, I look a lot at what other companies are doing and I feel like we're you know on a par with them. I see mistakes that even big companies are making and I know how to avoid. So I also feel, you know, like I know I've learned a lot in in the past, you know, 12, 13 years of doing this. I've learned a ton. So I feel like I I have my finger on the pulse of what's happening, which is another thing about specializing, right? Is that you know sort of what's you can focus on just one industry and you know what the trends are in in marketing and websites. So I think um I think feeling confident in what I know because I can see evidence of that. I think having um, a network of colleagues who trust me and refer me is also something you have to have the confidence to ask for that, which has been one of the marketing tactics that I've tried and probably the most successful is developing that network because there are lots of consultants who serve schools in different ways. And um, we don't do digital marketing, digital advertising, um, and so there are some companies who do only digital advertising for schools and they um, don't make websites. So having a relationship with them where we refer them and they, and they refer us is, you know, one of the, the main pipelines for new business that we have right now is those referrals. So that also requires confidence, but it also builds confidence because they refer you and you feel like, well, they wouldn't do that if they didn't trust me. So I think that that, that also helps um, with that. Did I answer your question? Sarah, you mentioned mistakes and that you're, you're pretty good at avoiding them and you can see them before they happen. But has there been, what's been your biggest mistake either within a website for a client or in business general? And what did you, how did you turn that around? What'd you learn from it? Yeah. So from a technical standpoint, there are always mistakes that happen in websites, right? There, I mean, they're just, it's unavoidable to make small mistakes. I think the largest mistake I ever made was a MailChimp automation. And we don't really do email marketing, but for one client we that had been long established, um, we did. And they were doing a big couponing thing and it was something that we weren't super familiar with. And so we set up an automation that went really, really wrong. <laughs> And so it resulted in people getting like multiple coupons and, you know, I was devastated and felt horrible and was apologizing left and right. And the client was very understanding. And, you know, we, 
tried to message it and fix it and understood after, you know, after it settled down, I understood that, you know, this is not, was not going to cost them thousands of dollars. People are not going to come in and redeem all of these coupons. And that's how it worked out. But, um, but automation is such a tricky thing. I know you guys both do that too. It is just, it scares me <laughs> because you're, you're just not in control of it. And so, and the one little box that's checked wrong can cause, you know, a big snafu. So I'd say from a technical standpoint, that's, that's probably one of the worst things. Way back when, when I worked at MCI, we put the wrong phone number on a mailer <laughs> and we had to figure out, like nobody caught it in the proofreading and we had to figure out how to change it. So, you know, those kinds of mistakes have have changed over time. And, you know, mistakes on a website, that's a great thing about a website is it's not printed on, you know, a million brochures. You make a mistake, a typo, it's like not a big deal. So, um, I love that about about working in in websites. Um, I, I think, think they probably, just even naturally break along the way, like they're in use, and then like yeah, a plugin changes, software. and it's like oop, the ripple effect. So you know, it's good job security for, for you that way. Yeah, and then we don't we don't even we're usually on some kind of retainer, so we don't even it's not it's not even like something that we're making money off of, and and it's also something that it's a great feeling when you've been through it long enough that when, you know, when you get a critical error or something, if I can fix it in five minutes or less, I feel so accomplished, right? Like it's, it's such a great feeling to know where to go to troubleshoot. So um, we're really good at that too, which is, which is fun. And for the most part, sometimes it takes three hours, but usually it takes five minutes. So, um, so that's, that's a really gratifying thing. I'd say from a business owner standpoint, mistakes if you wanted to know that one and i'm sure you guys have experienced this too it's not trusting my gut you know having um doing a proposal for a project that i know i have an, a gut feeling that's going to be a difficult relationship um and i've i've done that a couple of times and um it's really hard sometimes to say no especially when there's big dollar figure attached to it and you might be slow and so you're tempted to take that and i have done that before um and and sometimes the gut's wrong i've had a couple of proposals that i've sent out and thought this is they're not going to say yes they seem like they're going to be really difficult and then they accept it and i think oh no what's it going to be like and it goes great so you can't always 100% be right about that but um but i've had a couple of really you know unfortunate experiences with clients who um we had to end the relationship with for one reason or another and um it's no fun and it's not you're not going to do a good job if you don't feel like you're respected and trusted you know they hire us to do what we are good at and so um the best clients are the ones that trust you and if they want to do something i had a client who wanted to center the logo uh, they they really looked at all these different websites and they said they wanted the logo centered and they really liked that look and that's a really bad thing to do on a website by the way it's just not it's it's a bad user experience um, it, there are multiple reasons why it's bad and they've done studies on it. So I was able to find a st couple of studies and say, I know you really like the look of that and we'll do it for you if you really insist, but we don't recommend that you do that. And here's why. So having that kind of expertise and having them defer to you is, is really important to me. And so I think that's something that we look for initially when we're talking to potential new clients. How do you suss that out though? Like, I think that that at the heart of it, it's that, you know, establishing expectations, but establish like getting a sense of like, do you, do you say to a potential client, like what, what is your trust threshold or like how will, you know, how will we work? How do you know that it's not going to be just that 
uphill climb of like trying to get buy into what you're doing? I think the times when it hasn't been as successful are you can tell from the proposal phase because they, they want to break down things that aren't necessarily um, important or needing to be broken down or the questions that they ask like, well, what if we decide we don't like any of your designs and we want to end the contract? <laughs> you know, like that's a red flag question. Um, so I think that's how you can test it out in a proposal. You, you're not going to catch all of it, but sometimes I also think the longer that they take to make a decision is oftentimes gives me pause. And that's where that's not always an indication of it, of it um, not going well. Sometimes I think, you know, organizations just, especially schools, like there are times of the year when they're super busy. And if you send a proposal, then it might take them a few months, but you know, that sometimes is a little bit of a concern for me is if they can't make a decision on the, on the proposal, then that means they may have trouble making decisions in general and not, uh, you know, and not feel comfortable with whatever decision that they're making. So that's another um, thing that we look for that I look for. Tara, I want to ask a question about AI. Mm. What do you think about it? And is it threatening your business at all? I don't think it's threatening my business. Um, I think, you know, some of the developers that I work with, we've talked about it because you can actually get code written. But what we do is pretty specific and I'm not sure, you know, it's not going to replace my team either necessarily. I've used it um, sparingly. I've used it for uh, some social media posts and I've used it for blog, some blog uh, writing, but I also have a person who writes blog posts for me. So I've kind of sent it to her to then customize. But, you know, from what I've researched about it, I think it really is something to harness more than something to fear. And so one of the things on my list is to research how to, there are now all these tools coming out on how to write prompts, on how to use it. Because we don't even, I don't even know all of the things that it can do and how, I mean, it can really do an amazing job. I haven't harnessed it myself, but I know that's something that I want to do. And the people who do that, and that's a skill to add to your agency repertoire, right? If you do marketing or, or anything that, that uses AI is to know how to use it well. And then, then I think it's going to be fantastic and it's here. So we have to figure out how to use it. And so I'm not, I'm not usually one who's afraid of new technology. And I think that sure, certainly some industries are going to be, you know, are going to be impacted in terms of, um, their employment as a result of it. I think that you just have to pivot and learn how to use it. Yeah, I think um, my husband who works in IT was saying like one of the biggest job opening titles, it's like these, it's query analysts. Yes. Like, because you, you get out of it, but you have to ask the right questions. It's, mm-hmm. it's just a, so like knowing how to harness it is really, I think the trick. And, and yes, I will give a plug, Tara, you've delivered workshops on uh, harnessing technology in your business. Everything from like little apps, to, you know, systems and, you know, is that something that you continue to play with? Are you a constant adopter, tester, or do you feel like you've kind of settled into a routine now in your business? Yeah, less than I used to be. I I mean, I think that I really was on a big productivity kick and I'm always looking to be more productive. I think I'm now kind of in a groove. And so um, I have some tools that I love uh, 
and there probably are better ones out there, but they work for me. Um, and so we, you know, I am looking at more AI tools. We've been using some AI tools for a while and um, just for things like meeting recordings that automatically transcribe and summarize that are amazing. So there's been, you know, there's been stuff out there already. I will say one of the best uses of chat GPT that I've heard of, and I wish I had little kids, is to write bedtime stories. Have you heard about people doing this? No. It's the coolest thing. Try it. It's really, really fun. <laughs> like put it in there, like write a story about, I did this. And the story was just unbelievably creative. It was oh. wild, super wild. Like a story about a princess and a frog who live in a cave in Ireland. You know, like you could put that much in and it will write this whole story. It's really amazing. Okay. I never thought about that. I used it to write a video script the other day and it did a really good job. It was like fade in music, cut to voiceover, cut back to screen. I'm like, wow, this is great. Yeah. I have teenagers and when, when they first got their their account for chat GPT, they stayed up to like one in the morning and the laughter coming from the, the kitchen because they were prompting it to like write rap songs in the voice of uh, President Obama talking about, uh, you know, pl- politics with Korea. Like they would make up these crazy yeah. prompts and then they just thought the output was absolutely hysterical. Yeah, it really, it really, it can be really fun. So Probably a new party game, maybe. I don't know. That's right. (laughs) Tara, you claim to be a perfectionist on your website. Mm -hmm. Does that hurt you or help you in business? Oh, I'm so glad you asked this because one of my favorite guests on my podcast, and we are so excited to have her because she's like now a best-selling author. Um, Her book is like in the top books of Amazon for 2023 so far. Um, Catherine Morgan Schaffler, her book is called The Perfectionist Guide to Losing Control. Um, and she talks about five different types of perfectionists. And you can take a little you know, quiz to find out which type or types you are. And really talks about it in a fascinating way in that when you think about the term perfectionist, it's like something you're supposed to learn how to tame or control or put away or not apply, right? Like, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm a perfectionist. I just want this picture to be straight or whatever. Like it's something you apologize for. And, and she, she really analyzes it and talks about it in a way of using it positively and having it be a positive thing. So, um, so I love the fact that I'm a perfectionist and I think I do put it to good use. Uh, I'm an Enneagram one, which is the perfectionist, um, Enneagram, which so totally makes sense. Um, and yeah, do I wish that I were less focused on things being exactly right? Is that hard sometimes? Absolutely. Uh, but how, but how does it serve me well? Um, you know, there are lots of ways that it does. So yeah. Great question. Check out the book. It's really, really good. It's funny because I am, such the opposite of a perfectionist. <laughs> um, I, I need the other kind of book. Um, the, You'll never so, know. You might have you, some perfectionist tendencies, Jennifer. You perhaps, know. perhaps. I'm sure. I'm sure uh, people who work for me might say that I maybe am too perfectionist about certain things. Um, so, what's next for Tara and Design TLC? I think more of the same. I mean, I, I also am a really goal-oriented person. Uh, as you know, Jennifer, I use the 12-week year. It's a, um, it's a book that helps, it's a, a process from a book that breaks down setting goals into three-month 
periods instead of a full year, but you call it a 12-week year and you break it down week by week of what your what your goals are and your tactics to support those goals. And I've done that now for many years ongoing and I've had accountability groups where we meet and we review our goals and you score yourself every week. I've done that for a long time and I'm sort of on a little hiatus right now because I've realized that the past couple of years, 12-week years, so you know, probably even the past full year, I I really haven't had any big goals because things are kind of in a good groove. And so in some ways we think we always need to be growing and doing more and, and all of that. And I struggle because my goal is really not to grow. I don't, I definitely don't want to lose my business and I want to keep busy enough, but I don't have and have never had aspirations to be a big company or have a big team or anything like that. Uh, so I think I just want to continue this. I, I like, um, I have a nonprofit pro bono program and I, so I do at least one pro bono project a year. So as, since we talked, you talked about this as like my hobby, I see this as something that over time, as I, um, move towards retirement, that I would, uh, keep all of my clients that are, that we're serving with maintenance and support and maybe stop taking on new clients, except for a couple of pro bono projects per year uh, and do that for a couple of years before I actually then decide how I'm going to offload this company to somebody else. So, uh, so I think that's, I think that's, that's kind of my plan. That's the first time I've ever said it out loud, to be honest, but um, that's what I've been thinking about. I think it's a great honored. plan. Yeah, honored to be the first to hear it. Yeah. I love this conversation and I think you've given so many great pieces of advice. Uh, before we close, Tara, I would love to know what are you currently binging on Netflix? On Netflix or on any on any uh, it, any platform? Sure, any platform. Yeah, so there's always something, right? Um, we're watching Perry Mason. You've seen that. It's got Matthew Reese mm-hmm. in it. And The Righteous Gemstones, which has just started a new season. And I'm not really enjoying that. So I won't necessarily re- recommend that from a funny comedy kind of standpoint. Have you watched the other two on HBO? Um, that's a good one too. So those are, there's, we're not, in, we're not in like a super, uh, super uh, passionate show watching mode right now but um but the bear just started back up again we have started that one that's a really good one that i'm looking forward to as well there are so many there are so many tara how does someone find you online if they wanted to connect with you Uh, my website is designtlc.com and i'm also on linkedin uh you can look me up there tara clays and that's c-l-a-e-y-s awesome i think i could talk to you all day Sometimes we do when we're lucky and we get a day. But I really appreciate you being here today, Tara, and um, look forward to our next in-person opportunity. Yes, me too. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Tara. The M Word is an Arlington Strategy production hosted by Jennifer Mulchandani and Heather Michaelgard. Our theme music is by Ben Mulchandani, also known as Moochie. Graphic design by Kayla Fagan and Emily Rare. Sound engineering and editing by Ben Mulchandani. 